Hi everyone, Pamela Log here, your host of the Energy Transitions podcast. If you enjoy listening to our bi-weekly podcast, make sure to hit the subscribe button and take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening. This will help us spread the message and connect with our community. Thanks again for listening to the Energy Transitions podcast from Inlet and Friends. Critical raw materials are essential to ensure we reach our decarbonisation goals. However, there is an ever-widening gap between production and demand. Is the European Commission doing enough to secure domestic supply and keep Europe competitive? And what are the potential impacts of a raw material shortfall? To answer these questions and to delve into what the copper crunch means for Europe's energy transition, I am joined by Leila Sawyer, Secretary General of Current Europe. I'm Pamela Larg, and this is the Energy Transitions Podcast. Leila, welcome and thank you for joining us today. We're talking about a really important topic and that's critical raw materials. And there is a gap between production and demand. It's a widening gap. You know, how do we close this gap? And what about critical raw materials makes it such an important topic to talk about? Thank you, Pamela, for the uh, invitation to speak to you today on today's podcast. So, indeed, critical uh, raw materials are key to our strategy for electrification. Our strategy to deal with climate change requires electrification of a lot of different sectors, and a lot of materials are needed for that, including copper. And copper is going to be needed in so many different aspects of the energy transition, from electric vehicles to charging infrastructure to uh, renewable infrastructure, and last but not least, power lines. So it's expected that this will create a huge surge uh, in copper demand, and it has been more or less generally accepted that uh, global copper extraction will not be able to meet future demand uh, at this pace. So I think there's two considerations here. There's, first of all, the global supply of copper reserves period. If we look at the total um, copper reserves Uh, how much of that is needed for all of the different sectors. And then if you look at how many power lines we need to build, we will probably need about 427 tons to build 152 kilometers of lines, according to a study by uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance. So this leaves us with a deficit of 35 tons of copper. And then if grids need more than that, it will actually be very difficult to to reach net zero in time. And that's just looking at the global uh, reserves for copper. But if we actually look at the time needed and the efforts to extract all of this copper, it's even more difficult. There's a Standard & Poor has come up with a few scenarios for copper mining to meet the demand for net zero. And their estimates show that uh, an overall doubling of copper demand would be needed by 
2035 in order to meet net zero. Um, so this is a huge surge in the copper demand, and all of this is crucial to reach net zero. Leila, you mentioned copper. I would assume that we, we're sitting with a similar situation with other materials as well. If I'm not mistaken, the demand for materials like cobalt, for example, will be surging as well. So it's quite a broad challenge that we're facing Yes, indeed. I uh, would say that copper is, in terms of quantity, the, the largest by volume. But indeed, there's various other materials and min minerals that have been uh, named as critical for reaching net zero. So indeed, it's not just copper, but copper is needed for, for everything that we want to do, let's say. And if you look at the, uh, the European Commission has come up with a, a Critical Raw Materials Act, a proposal for new legislation. They have also listed in their annexes what are these critical raw materials and what are the strategic raw materials. And there's a whole list, and we do need to be looking at all of these materials. You mentioned the EU Commission and the Act that's been recently passed. Leila, can you give us some more information about that? Obviously, Europe wants to address this with policy measures, but is it enough? And is it in time? And potentially what more could be done to ensure that there is sufficient domestic supply of materials like copper? So the European Commission, uh, on March of this year, they came up with a proposal for the Critical Raw Materials Act, which is uh, which is now being discussed in the Council and in the Parliament. And they propose various uh, measures which are focused on uh, reducing a dependency on certain countries for all of their uh, materials. They propose some targets. For example, that at least 10% of the EU's annual consumption for extraction should come from domestic uh, use, 40% of the annu EU's annual consumption for processing, 15% uh, of the annual consumption for recycling, and that not more than 65% of the Union's annual consumption of each strategic raw material should be purchased from a single third country. So this is a lot about reducing uh, dependency on other countries. Of course, Europe recently has been going through the experience of being too dependent on Russian fossil fuels, so they don't want to make the same mistakes on critical raw materials. But at the same time, their proposal doesn't take into account this massive global shortage that is like a, a train wreck that we can see coming, that there's going to be this big shortage, even if we work together more with other countries, if we diversify our supply, there is just a shortage and also how much we can extract in the limited time that we have until 2050 or 2035 for some uh, estimates. So we believe that the European Commission should and the European legislation should also be looking at much more at efficiency and what are other alternatives that we can use. There's a few principles in um, EU legislation, such as the energy efficiency first principle and the do no significant harm principle. And 
these principles also need to be taken into consideration in the Critical Raw Materials Act. So, for example, if we say to look at efficiency and uh, what alternatives are there, we've already discussed that the power system is going to need a huge amount of copper in the coming years to accommodate all the renewables that we're going to need to reach net zero. So if we look at ways, how can we actually reduce copper in the uh, electricity infrastructure that we're going to build? We would come to the conclusion that we also need to be urgently looking at new transmission technologies. Some of our members have been developing transmission technology based on superconductors, which uses seven times less copper than uh, conventional power cables. And um, if you're looking at the scale which we need to build new grids in order to meet our decarbonization targets, this is a very significant amount. And we really need to be looking at all areas. There's been some trade tensions. There's been some geopolitical tensions of late. And if we consider where some of these materials are, geographically speaking, uh, not all of these countries perhaps are as accessible for Europe. Uh, You know, we've got countries in Africa, uh, even Russia, for example, and of course, China. How does Europe go about positioning itself to be able to create these relationships uh, to really tap into these sources? Or is it a case of we really need to, to reinvent some of the technology or perhaps drive efficiency with some of the technology so we don't have to rely on those countries? Yeah, so the trade tensions are really, indeed, a train wreck is a, a strong language. But if you look at interviews that have been given by uh, mining executives starting from last year, they've really been raising the alarm bell, that there is a huge expected deficit and that the numbers just don't add up. This is a quote that I'm I'm reading now, that achieving the stated climate ambitions will require a rapid and massive ramp up of copper supply far greater than is visible in any private or public plan. And the world has never produced anywhere close to this much copper in such a short time frame. So that is some strong language coming from mining executives. And it does mean that things uh, need to speed up while we also need to speed up renewable production, uh, building up grids. We also need to be speeding up copper. I would say that the uh, geopolitical tensions are something that then even come uh, on top of that. And I do think that the European Commission is right to also be looking at Um, what can be done within the EU. But this is also incredibly challenging for the EU. As I mentioned, the European Critical Raw Materials Act is now being uh, discussed in the Parliament and in the European Council. And in the Council, of course, the energy ministers need to sell it to their country. And as you can imagine, most countries in Europe are not terribly excited about Uh, opening up new mines in Europe. And yet we do know that this is needed. So I think there is no way to do this without massive global uh, collaboration on this front. But uh, I would say that anything that we can do to reduce the demand and increase efficiency is going to be a win on all fronts. Because the less, it's a problem to begin with, 
But the more that we can save, mitigate the demand, the better it is on all fronts. It's quite an interesting situation. Even though there is collaboration needed to solve these problems, it's also very competitive. Uh, Ever since the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, Europe really sees that it needs to maintain its competitive edge globally to spur the energy transition domestically. It's a fine balancing act. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, there is going to be competition for all of these critical materials, especially if there is a shortage. How will you decide? I mean, the prices are expected to surge quite a bit. Right now, the price of copper so far does not really indicate to the market to be opening up new mines at the rate that they will be needed. But uh, experts estimate that there could be up to a 40% increase in copper price in the coming years, um, which, of course, makes sense if there's so much more demand than supply, supply available, at least. So this is also why it's important to use these materials as efficiently as possible. I mean, if you look at conventional power cables versus superconductor cables, one of our members has estimated that if the price of copper goes up by 40%, superconductor cables, the price would only go up by 5%, while conventional cables might go up by 50%. So it's a big risk as well to be competing for copper when we all need to reach net zero. This is a collective target and uh, we, we won't succeed unless all of us succeed in that. Well said. Leila, I recently did some research into iridium, uh, which is needed for hydrogen electrolyzers. And because there is a limited amount of this available, it's spurring innovation in the landscape to look at different materials that can replace iridium and still be as effective, if not more. Do you believe that because perhaps there's more demand than there's supply, that we will see an increase in innovation? You spoke about some of the transmission technologies uh, making use of less copper or perhaps different materials. Well, that would certainly be ideal. We do see it in indeed already with the transmission technologies. There's also in parallel to the Critical uh, Raw Materials Act, the European Commission has been developing their Net Zero Industry Act, which also looks at sandboxes for new technologies and what are the technologies that are going to be needed. And there is innovation funding available. But I think in terms of the amount of innovation that will be needed, there's still a lot more that can be done. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. For our members, as enabling technologies, grid technologies are, of course, enabling technologies, it's still very challenging to access this innovation funding, which is often more, you know, on something that can directly um, reduce CO2 emissions, while something that can enable the reduction of CO2 emissions is a little bit harder to find funding for. So I think that Europe can really, if we look at the Inflation Reduction Act, make it a lot simpler for these innovative technologies to access the funding uh, that they need. And the market is going to ask for this innovation. It just depends whether we can get it 
off the ground uh, at the scale that is needed uh, in time to meet uh, net zero in 2050. We're also we're quite good at innovation in Europe, but we are much less good at uh, applying it on a large scale. And that's what's going to be needed in the coming years. Leila, what would you like to see happening in this space over the next, say, five years to a decade? I think that we really need to use our resources as efficiently as possible. If you look at the electricity uh, grid, the uh, European Commission has estimated that we're going to need around 580 billion uh, euros of investment into the electricity grid in the coming decades. So everything that we can do to make this more efficient will be a huge savings for society. I think that grid operators also need to be uh, rewarded for using the grid as efficiently as possible. So there need to be incentives in place that meet that. But I think importantly, we also need to look at um, how can we use our resources the most efficiently at a European scale. And how can we use the the grid as efficiently as possible from a pan-European perspective? So to not look at each country individually, but look at all of the wind and solar resources that we have and focusing on building a European grid that can transport it from where it's produced to where it needs to go. So this is really a paradigm uh, shift. I would say that security of supply is still very much looked at from a national perspective, whereas increasing the interconnection within Europe was a huge contribution towards our energy security this past winter when all of a sudden uh, this was uh, threatened. So going forward, we have huge plans for offshore build-out of renewable electricity. So really approaching the that entire infrastructure that we need to build from a European perspective is going to be extremely important. Would you say that we could expect to see some more change uh, in the near future, or, or do you think it's going to be quite stable in terms of policy measures? The Critical Raw Materials Act is being negotiated as we speak. The Swedish presidency is currently working on it on the 1st of July Uh, This podcast may not come out until after, but on the 1st of July, the uh, Spanish presidency is going to be taking it over. And uh, I know that the aim is to get it finalized before the end of the year. So on the policy, I would say that uh, we are moving for European standards very uh, fast on getting these policies together. And I would say that one of the big challenges is also that Everything needs to speed up. We need to speed up the deployment of renewables. We need to speed up the grid. We need to speed up the extraction of raw materials or the access to raw materials. So everything needs to speed up. And that means that policy also needs to move very fast in order to facilitate this. One final question, Leila. If you can give us some insights into what your focus is uh, at the moment and in the near future for you and for Current. So, yeah, as Current, we are um, a group of innovative grid technology companies um, working on how to get more out of the existing grid, for example, through dynamic line rating, 
modular power flow control systems, basically grid enhancing technology, so how to enhance the grid, as well as developing new technologies for transmission and uh, distribution that can increase the, the capacity when we do build new grids and you know use materials more efficiently, as we've been talking about today. So what we are really focusing on is these two aspects. Um, you know, what are the incentives that can be put in place to increase the capacity of the existing grid? And this pan-European plan that I mentioned already, how can we really look at the European grid from a European perspective and not from a national perspective? Thank you, Leila. And uh, do you have any final comments that you'd like to share with our listeners today? I think it's time to uh, roll up our sleeves and, and implement what we know that needs to happen. I think we have all the ideas and vision for what needs to happen. We just really need to work on implementing this. I'd like to thank you for joining us today and thank you to our listeners. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this Energy Transitions podcast brought to you by Enlit and Friends. Visit enlit.world for more episodes. See you next time.